Sydney, a city of windmills? Hello and welcome to Urban Ambling. Makata here. Just before we move on to uh, today's story or this episode's story, uh, I just want to also welcome you to this time-shifted amateur radio. Now you're probably wondering what on earth I'm talking about, but in fact that was a description I very recently found out uh, was the description coined by a magazine called Macworld, which was a magazine some years back for Apple enthusiasts. And about 20 years ago, they coined that phrase in the magazine to describe what we would now call a podcast. The phrase podcast wasn't picked up by the Oxford English Dictionary until about 2005. So there you go. Um, time-shifted amateur radio. It really sounds a bit more interesting than a podcast. Perhaps I'll stick with it. Anyway, I hope that's a bit of useful trivia for trotting out at parties. Uh, With all the concerns and discussion that we now have about the appropriate sources of renewable energy and how much we should have, uh, it's very interesting to know and look back to find that at one point, uh, Sydney, uh, probably certainly not a city, more a town, was a, a place, a town circled with windmills. Now, we've got no lesser authority for that proposition than Charles Darwin. When he sailed in a ship up Sydney Harbour in 1836, he wrote these words. In the distance, stone houses two and three storeys high, and windmills standing on the edge of a bank. This pointed out to us the neighbourhood of the capital of Australia. An unidentified observer, but probably perhaps a little earlier than Darwin, was a bit more florid and poetic when he said, or she said, we don't know, on getting sight of Sydney you see a waterside town scattered wide over upland and lowland. And if it be a breezy day, the merry rattling of its windmills is no unpleasant sight. The third chronicler we can rely on for the fact of the windmills is W.C. Wentworth. That's a name that'll be well known to all older Australians, but uh, he was a very significant person in the 19th century in the then colony. Uh, He was one of the three men who found a way to cross the Blue Mountains, which had stumped so many people. They did it by not following the creeks up the valleys, but rather by sticking on the high ground, and that way picked their way across the mountains. And he was also a politician uh, as well as a businessman. Now, he obviously came from a pretty wealthy family because he studied at Cambridge University in England. And whilst he was there in 1823, he wrote a poem entitled, rather uh, wordily, The First Fruits of Australasian Posy. And this is how it went. The lofty windmills that with outspread sail thick lined the hills and caught the rising gale. 
Now, people who are specialists in poetry or enthusiasts of poetry would tell you it's all dreadful doggerel, but it does have a certain charm and it's certainly a, a useful record for us. Now, the uh, to say that there was a thick, uh, a thick amount of windmills is probably being a bit too, too poetic. But the fact is that at various times over the years, there were 17 windmills uh, which circled the little settlement of Sydney. There were three at Millers Point, which is now just to the left or western side of the Harbour Bridge as you go out of the city. There were three in or near the Botanical Gardens, including one up in front of where the State Library now uh, stands. There were six in the King's Cross Darlinghurst area, up on that ridge of land uh, to the east of uh, Sydney, above um, Woolloomooloo. And there was one in Piermont, and one also in George Street near Market Street, and that was a windmill which was apparently on the top of a hotel. The remaining three were on the bank, as um, Darwin had said, calling it a bank, to the west of the town. And where that is today is it's indeed the line at the top of the rocks where the approaches to the Harbour Bridge are. And it's important to this story to, of course, state the obvious that the topography, the layout of the ground in that area was vastly changed uh, during the course of the works to make those approaches which started, that work started in the, the late 1920s. These um, three windmills were called at the time the government windmills for the obvious reason that the governments built them and owned them and operated them and the others were privately owned. The first one uh, that was built, which was, we believe, in about 1797, was really almost smack bang in the middle of where the Sydney Observatory still sounds. The second one built, and this is the one we're going to concentrate on a little just as an example of the windmills, sat on a hill that back then was at the top of the present Grosvenor Street, and we'll come back to that in a moment. But I should say this was obviously a reasonably significant hill. It was fairly isolated, uh, and of course it's been flattened, if not during the building of the approaches to the Harbour Bridge, then uh, by other development. So we'll come back to that. The third uh, windmill uh, was built a little to the north or in between the first and second and really just a little to the north of where the National Trust uh, building, the big white building on the approaches to the Harbour Bridge now stands. Now the hill that on the second one was built on, which we'll concentrate on, uh, was called a Sugarloaf Hill. Now, I must say, that's a fairly common description of uh, hills and mountains these days, but I'm surprised that it was in currency even then. Now, it's a term that uh, seems to cover a multitude of shapes. But the classic example, uh, really, of a sugarloaf is the, the great sugarloaf rock, which stands at the entrance on the southern side to the harbour in Rio de Janeiro. And if you haven't had the good fortune to go there... Um, You've probably doubtless seen it in photographs. So really describing it as a almost like a cylinder which rounds towards the top, and that's the classic sugarloaf. Um, this particular hill really wasn't uh, that shape. It 
you'd more sort of say it was the shape of a mini mini volcano. But in any event, it was called a Sugarloaf Hill and it was certainly very prominent in Sydney at the time. And Governor Hunter was the responsible governor for the building of it. Uh, and he, when reporting to London in uh, 1796, uh, amongst lots of other things, he said these words, quote, We are also erecting upon the high ground over Sydney. And that's important, that description, the high ground over Sydney. And continuing the quote, a substantial and well-built windmill with a strong tower that will last 200 years, end quote. Now, in a short time, we'll come back to that prophecy of Governor Hunter that it will last 200 years because, unfortunately, he missed the mark by the proverbial country mile uh, and it was only there a few years before it was uh, knocked over in a very uh, strong and prolonged gale, but we'll come back to that. A good way um, to gain a sense of this, as Hunter said, the high ground over Sydney, it's a wonderful description, or indeed Darwin's bank is the phrase he used, is to go back down to our old friend the tank stream or where the tank stream was, which as we've said before is at the bottom of the little hill down from George Street. There's a little lane off travelling south towards Australia Square called Tank Stream Lane or Way or something like that. Anyway, if you're standing on that little corner, you're pretty well standing in the middle of the tank stream. Now, from there, can I suggest just walk up back up Bridge Street to George Street, cross at the lights, and please do be careful of the new light rail because we all seem to be having trouble realising that we've got to look out for it. And when you're to the other side, just veer a bit to the right and you'll pretty quickly come to a street running off on your left, and that's Grosvenor Street. It's really fairly short, quite a lovely street really, a lot of trees, quite wide. The difficulty with it now is that it is basically just a, a traffic traffic lane for vehicles coming off and going onto the Harbour Bridge, so it's certainly lost the charm that would have had back in the early days. Now, as you look up, you'll see the quite significant rise up the hill to York Street. Uh, but the other thing to remember is the, the rise we're looking at now on the top of the crest is probably considerably lower than it was back at the time of the windmills. Uh, I suggest you just walk up the left-hand side when you're going up the hill, that's to the west, and just have a look over the uh, over Gravener Street and you'll see some quite lovely buildings. The first one uh, on your right is Royal Naval House, now, that was uh, built, completed in September 1890, so uh, it's been around for 130 years. A little further on, there's a street off on the right, and then you'll notice a quite attractive brick building with some wonderful ceramic tiles above the windows, and it's well worth stopping and having a good look at the detail of that. And that building was built as the second convent of the Sisters of Mercy, and it was occupied and run as a convent from 1875 until 1998, when it became the presbytery and office for the adjacent St. Patrick's Church. And that church is what you see next on your right, on the other side of the road, 
And it is of even more historical significance because the construction started on the 25th of August 1840. So we're talking about having been there for the order of nearly 180 years. You'll have crossed over Lang Street, which runs off at an angle to your left, and then the small um, triangular-shaped park you're walking past is Lang Park. Um, we'll mention that again later, but it is uh, of significance to note that the first uh, St Philip's Church was built on that area of land, Lang Park, and as you go up, if you just look in along the footpath, you'll see a little memorial on your left, and it's worth looking at, and that records that fact about that church. Now, the hill you're coming up to the ridge has been known from early days and certainly still is now as Church Hill. Uh, an Anglican clergyman who was giving a paper on the first uh, St Philip's Church, uh, and he was giving that paper to the Royal Australian Historical Society in about 1903, he said this, Quote, there is no place in Sydney more interesting than this historic locality known as Church Hill, end quote. Uh, and that is true. It's, a, it's an area that tends to get a bit ignored because it's a bit away from the centre of things and because of the traffic problems, but it certainly is uh, a very historic and very pleasant area and uh, uh, certainly well worth a, a look and and worth a slow look. And the original St Philip's Church that I just mentioned was on that site from 1798 until 1856. And then the new um, St Philip's Church, which is on the other side of uh, York Street, and if you look along the middle line, the path of Lang Park, you're looking roughly south, you'll see St Philip's, which is a wonderful church, lovely church. Um, on the other side of York Street, and it was consecrated on the 23rd of March, 1856. So again, for European Australia, they're significantly old buildings. And the general area round Lang Park uh, was known as uh, Charlotte Square uh, back in those times, and that was named after the then Queen. Now, you'll by now have reached the top of Grosvenor Street as it now stands and you're at York Street and if you just stand and have a look at the white cloud office building on the opposite side of the road I think it's now called Emirates House anyway it's number one York Street you're pretty well looking at where this hill was that I've talked about although the hill was probably a little to the back part of that building and um, it was on that hill that uh, this second government windmill was erected. Now, to give you an idea of the changes, and this is just a rough approximation, if you just count up to the fourth level, the fourth floor of that building, then that's going to give you an idea of about the height of this particular hill. And if you look around from where uh, you're standing, when, of course, there would have been nothing like the development there is now, you can appreciate why... Hunter, Governor Hunter, used that interesting phrase, high over Sydney. Now, these days, um, it's a funny thing, human memory about weather, but we always think the last big storm we had is the worst storm that ever occurred. But it's worth bearing in mind that the storm that blew this windmill away and 
I mentioned that before, the windmill that was going to last 200 years lasted about two. But there was a huge storm, wind and rain, that spread over three days, the 4th, 5th and 6th of June in 1799. And in that storm, the fine tower built to last two centuries was reduced to about being only 15 feet or roughly three metres high. It's also worth mentioning that the original and first St Philip's Church had a tower which was about 150 foot high, 45 metres, and it had a clock in it. It was a source of much controversy when uh, room on a ship was taken up for bringing out a clock when the colonists thought there'd be a lot more useful things to bring out, uh, such as implements and food. But in any event, this tower had a bit better luck than the the windmill, the number two windmill, because it survived the first gale, but unfortunately got damaged to some extent in a further gale in July 1799, which was the next month, but then really copped it uh, in another gale on the 4th of June 1806. And in that gale, the tower, uh, together with its contentious clock, was blown down. Uh, Subsequently, it was replaced with a round tower. Perhaps they correctly thought that would withstand the the onslaughts of nature better, uh, which can be seen in some of the early sketchings of Sydney. So they certainly used to have uh, spectacular storms in those days. The windmill was rebuilt uh, in 1802 and continued on uh, supplying Sydney with the the ground, uh, corn, etc., until the mid-1840s. Now, I must say, it's uh, when you think back, uh, obviously these things can't be preserved, but it would have been a very striking feature of Sydney if that hill was st- still there, uh, although obviously the windmill would probably not have been there. But this area uh, of Church Hill, in the times we're talking about, the early 19th century, was, was a very prestigious area. And it's it's pretty easy to understand why, because it was on this bank, if we follow Darwin's view or the high ground over Sydney, as Governor Hunter would have it, you can imagine that it would have had quite wonderful views over the, the township and down the harbour, and you, of course, would have got the, the breezes. So it's not surprising that some of the most prestigious and early hotels in Sydney were up in this precise area around what we now call Lang Park. The first one I'll mention was just built a bit to the north of where the windmill was. Now about all it is is a spaghetti junction of road at that point but in its day there was this hotel and a very grand hotel uh, situated there. It was built in 1880 and it was four storeys with a mansard roof above. It was described as one of Sydney's biggest and most luxurious hotel, boasting its pure air and a gentleman's smoking room, which was perhaps without parallel in the world. So they certainly weren't shy about making significant claims. In its time, when it first opened, there was a wonderful description in the paper and I'll just read a little of it to you and quote, Over £10,000 has been expended in furniture. It is lighted throughout with electric light and gas. 
and here's the smoking room, and has a furnished smoking room in the golden dome of the promenade mansard roof, which is reached by an Otis travelling lift, and for which are obtainable the finest panoramic views of the city and harbour. And it then goes on to say that something called the, the Grosvenor Drag, which sounds a bit like a, a wild party, would meet all trains on their arrival in Sydney from Melbourne, Adelaide, Brisbane, Bathurst and the Western Lines. So it would have been quite a place to see. Now, the next hotel uh, was Petty's Hotel. Uh, now, it was a little further down. Uh, if you go down to the south, in other words, you're going in the direction of the flow of traffic from the bridge, the next street you come to is Jamison Street, and the new, the second St Philip's Church is on that corner. Well, on the opposite corner, there's a building now, the York Apartments, but that's where Petty's Hotel was. It had a frontage to York Street, ran right through to Clarence Street to the west, and ran along Jamison Street. Now, I must confess I'm old enough that I, in fact, remember Petty's Hotel. As I'll say in a moment, it was sold to the Red Cross in the very early 1950s and was used as Sydney's blood bank. Uh, then for about 25 years, and it's that use that I remember. But it was a wonderful building, uh, and it was certainly a tragedy that we lost it. It was interesting because it, in fact, had the first beer garden in Sydney, and there'd been an area of garden on the York Street frontage which had had quite magnificent uh, pine trees in it at one point, but it was there that the beer garden was opened, and it was... It was quite an event. This was in the 1930s and it was a very uh, big thing for for the ladies because uh, they felt it's a place they could attend and have a drink and feel comfortable. Uh, there's a, just a few descriptions or quotes about Petty's Hotel and one of them was this. Quote, Petty's Hotel in York Street was always spoken of in glowing terms. It was acknowledged in the late 19th century to hold the premier position as the aristocratic and select resort in Sydney. An awed writer in Cosmos said, At Petty's the old and the new are locked in close embrace, solid and massive in structure, with a constant regard to convenience and comfort. It is also the home of all that is modern in art, marvellous in science and magnificent in upholstery. The building was large, fronting York, Clarence and Jamison Streets. The hotel opened in 1842 uh, and it was interesting that part of the original building, in fact being the home of the Reverend uh, Dunmore Lang, who we mentioned in an earlier episode, he was the first minister and responsible for the erection of the First Scots Church. Uh, he sold to someone and it then came into a hand, the hands of a Mr Thomas Petty and the hotel opened in 1842. It originally had two floors, but was later extended to three. Uh, it was folklore at the time that it never closed its doors, ever, once, for 118 years, until the final night on uh, the uh, 1st of September 1950, when apparently it was a very sad night that that was the closing time of the hotel. As I said, it was sold to the Red Cross at that time and it was sold again by the Red Cross in 1976 when it was demolished. 
Just before we leave Petty's, the other quote I mentioned is taken from a, an excerpt in the Sydney Sun from October uh, 1938. It's got the heading, the byline heading, Beer Gardens for Sydney. Sydney's first beer garden is now being constructed at Petty's Hotel in York Street. The garden, which will be modelled on the latest continental lines, will be divided into two sections, one for residents and one for the public. It will be situated on the York Street frontage, which for over 100 years has been occupied by lawns and paths. The garden has been planned by the manager of Petty's, Mr L Pearce, who recently arrived from England. Seating accommodation will be provided for approximately 200 people at tables shaded by colourful awnings. And in, uh, in respect of the ladies' view of it, there was another par in the woman's column of the Sun on the 20th of November 1938 to this effect. Quote, at last we have a beer garden, opened yesterday at Petty's, bright umbrellas and lacquered chairs along the street. Later, there's to be a special section for women only. And that's the end of the quote. And it would have been a, a great spot because it, it's, of course, sunny, uh, certainly in the morning. And it would have been a very pleasant place to, uh, to have a drink. And the final hotel uh, was the original Wentworth Hotel. What is currently the Wentworth Hotel in Sydney was built in 1966, but the original one was in Lang Street on that little triangular run. It started off as a boarding house uh, from the 1880s and then uh, was gradually changed into a hotel and by the early 1940s it was a 200-room hotel it was very popular with country people. And again, I must say, I'm so old uh, that I do remember the hotel, although I don't think I ever went into it. At the time it closed and the new Wentworth was built, the hotel was in fact owned by Qantas, Qantas Airways, and they continued to own the new Wentworth for some period. So that's the three of them. Just a little reminiscence about what this area was like, which, as I say, seems a bit in Congress now because uh, it's, as I say, a bit of a backwater. But can I just suggest that if you've just followed this round, it's worth having a bit of a sit and a contemplate in Lang Park. And one great virtue of it is that because it's near to the approaches to the bridge, there's to the, the west and the northwest, there's no buildings to block the sun. And it is a place where in late autumn and winter in Sydney, you can get a bit of sun on and after midday. So I think that's it for now. I trust you well and I trust you stay well and that you have time to engage in a bit of ambling. Until next time, cheerio.